The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Let's dive into this text. I'm really excited about this point in our series. We're working through a series called See What God Has Done, where we are looking at the main storyline of the Bible. The Bible is a book about God. It is a book about his story. And if his story was like a play, like a theatrical play, we would see that it'd be broken up into different acts. You know, the first act of God's revelation and creation and making all that there is and revealing himself to us and introducing characters that are important like himself and and his creation and giving dignity and purpose to his creation. And then act two, we see this conflict that is introduced into this play, into this story, where man, man falls into sin and everything about their lives are disrupted and broken and conflicted. And then in Act 3, we see that God's redemption is initiated, pursued, and accomplished in the work of Christ. And that's where we left off last week. And now we see that this story pivots. We pivot on this point in the story where we see that the participants in God's redemptive story are not only, they're not hoping and longing and waiting for redemption, but through faith in Christ, they've received forgiveness and friendship with God through His grace. And this mercy, this act of mercy, is nothing short of a miraculous change of identity of who they are, of who we are in Christ. Where before we were prone to wander from God and disobey God, but through faith in Christ, we are now prone to love Him and to obey Him and to follow Him and to respond in worship. And so in this series of See What God Has Done, we look at the story of the Bible and we come to this point where we are now looking at the worship, the response to all that God has done. Because all that God has done, does it, it, it stirs up a response. It warrants a response from all of creation. And that response is one of worship. We usually think of worship in terms of music and maybe the things, the components, the elements that we do on, on Sunday morning when we gather together. The singing, the, uh, even the reading of scripture, and the different activities of the church. But the Bible shows us that worship is not only a, an action that we participate in, but it is a whole life orientation towards God. And I hope that we can look at this concept in maybe a fresh light. And hopefully at the end of this and walking through this passage, we will learn that worship goes beyond just the singing and the church activities, but it is a, an orientation of our lives towards God. And a life of worship is one that is, is defined by a person who orients their life towards God. So Luke 7 is a great picture of this, what this orientation looks like, what this life orientation to God looks like. And I want to lay out a working definition for us this morning as we, we talk about worship and through this passage in particular And it's not going to be an exhaustive definition of explaining everything there is to know about worship and what the Bible says about worship. But but I hope that it will teach us something that is good and true about worship. And so here's here's the definition I want to give to you this morning as we work through it. That worship is responding to who God is and what he has done with all that we have so that Jesus is made great in our lives. And we're going to take those three parts and just work through them as it relates to this passage. So looking at the first one, that worship is responding to who God is and what he has done. This story in Luke 7 is a story of, it introduces this woman of the city. Not a woman in the city, but a woman of the city. And this term, it, it refers more to her character than it does her geography. And she was a woman that lived in the city, but it's talking that, about 
her character, that she's a woman that has a very shady reputation. And Jesus uses this situation, this encounter with this woman, to teach everyone in the room about what worship looks like, what a response, a proper response to Christ looks like. And he tells a story, and the story is it's simple, and it's to the point. A man has two debtors, one owed very much and one owed very little. He cancels both debts. And which one, he asks, which one will respond with love, affection, and worship, essentially? And Simon, the religious leader, says, the one who has the larger debt. And Jesus says, you are right. You are absolutely right. So this lady comes in with this alabaster jar, and she, she, these loving and humble and worshipful acts from this woman are not so much a, a petition for God's favor, a petition for God's love, but they are a response to God's favor and his love. Her actions, her humble and loving and affectionate actions are, are not so much that she would then learn about God, but it is because of what she already has learned about God. No doubt she has heard Jesus preaching in the marketplace or in the synagogue. She has, has friends who are talking about Jesus. There's a buzz about this man who is forgiving sinners and is accepting and loving people who are just shady people. And so when she is hearing of those stories and what this person is doing and what he is like, that he is loving people that have maybe even never experienced love, she goes and responds to that. Fully aware of her sin and the message that he is teaching, she interrupts the party and loves Jesus with a great affection. So worship has this belief affection priority it has a knowledge of god an understanding of god a receiving of a knowing of who he is and what he has done and then responding to that in great affection it not so much has this affection doctrine priority where or affection belief priority where we feel something about god and whatever we feel then must be right because then we can just make up anything about god but it is knowing who he is, hearing about what he has done, and then responding in kind to that. And so this means that, that real worship, real life orientation of worship to God flows out of truth about who he is and what he has done. And this language saturates the Psalms as we look through Scripture, these Psalms that were written as, as praises and worship. Psalm 98 verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. So the psalm writer this is telling us, respond to God because of who he is and what he has done. Psalm 145.8 likewise says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Look at who he is. Look at what he has done. Look at his mercy and grace, and then respond to that. It may seem that, that some doctrine and learning about God and studying about God and, and being aware of who he is and what he is like can really complicate life. And I know I have felt that way at, at a point in my life. And maybe you feel that way in a point in your life. It's like, you know what, just, just give me enough. Like, I don't need to know everything about God, but just let me know a little bit. Because I don't want that to bog down my life. I don't want to complicate things. I don't want to be confused. But, but it's actually the ignorance of God. It's the lack of knowing about God that leads to a complicated walk and a complicated faith. 
And there's no authentic worship of God without a right knowledge of God. We don't need to know everything about God, but real worship flows out of a real God. I believe the reason that a lot of us don't, maybe don't pray or sing or worship or spend time in God's word consistently is because at times we have no or very little emotional energy to do so. Think about that. Oh, I just don't feel like singing. I don't feel like pursuing. I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like worshiping. And so because we don't have that emotional energy to do it, we simply maybe just neglect it. And we wait for that big thing to happen in our life where we actually want to do it. And if if God wants me to worship him, then he'll give me the energy to do so. He'll give me the affection to do so. But like any healthy relationship, if it was based on how we feel or our emotions to do it, then that relationship would eventually just end. Because emotions change. Have you ever been distracted by your emotions? Have you ever been misguided by your emotions? Have you ever been mistreated and lied to by your emotions? Of course. I know what that's like. And it's not that we don't trust that affection, trust that emotion, but we line up that emotion with what is true about God. And so it begs the question, why do we do anything for God? If worship then is a response to who he is and what he has done, then then why would we do anything for God? You know, if if a life of worship and, and any part of that life of worship is just a list of things that we do for God, then they become these these empty tasks that make us believe that we must do in order to receive God's love. It becomes religiosity or belief that good behavior qualifies us for God's love. And when it comes to worshiping God, whether at church or home or work, we are not the main character, but God is. And this is what is happening in Luke chapter 7. The religious leaders are saying this. If Jesus only knew this woman, if Jesus only knew the kind of person that this woman was who was coming to him, he would act differently. He would respond differently. And Jesus is very quick to show them, you have it backwards. Her ability, this sinful woman's ability to receive favor is not based on what Jesus knows about her, but what she knows about him. She heard about him, she trusts in him, and she responds to him in worship. God doesn't change when we worship. We change because we are orienting our heart, our mind, our energy, our strength to respond to him. And we find ourselves, when we are responding to God, he stays the same. He never changes, but it is us that that are changing. It is we that are changing. We are orienting our lives around Him. He's the blazing center of our universe. We, our lives are meant to orbit around Him rather than He or, orbiting around us. And another thing that worship is, going on to the next one, is that worship is responding to who God is and what He has done with all that we have. We, uh, I had this guy come in today. We get a lot of uh, a different walk-ins for different reasons at the church, and I lock my door, and I have tinted glass, and so they don't know I'm in here. No, I'm kidding. Um, kind of halfway kidding. And, and uh, this guy comes in, and he's from uh, a gym, LA Fitness. He comes in, he's talking about the different programs that they have, and he's, and it, which is really cool. We're 
members over there. I know, you, I know, you can tell. And uh, no. <laughs> go like uh, once every quarter. It's really awesome. And um, he comes in. He's talking about you know we're giving away free two weeks. And he says you know we're going out to all the churches because we really you know like you guys we really believe in a, a mind, body, and soul wholeness and, and, and life. And and so that's what we're doing. We're trying to you know focus on that part now. You know the, the soul part. And I said you know that's that's really great. Um, you know, that's, that's awesome. We care about that, too. And I turn to him and say, that's, that's great, but here's my problem. Uh, things are so busy. I'm so busy in life. I mean, when it comes to mind, body, and soul, I, can, I only have time to invest in one of those, one of the three. So if you were me, which one would you invest in? Actually, I didn't say any of that. that, that but that would be like, <laughs> that'd be really awesome if I did, wouldn't it? I mean, that's like, dude, that's like, I saw it. It was a God moment. No, I actually didn't say any of that. I shook his hand and just like faded into the shadows. Um, but, and I said, you know, I'll, I'll tell people about it. So, oh, there, yeah, that's it. So, but look at this. He's saying mind, body, and soul. So which is it? You know, which is it? Mind, body, soul. I mean, if you had time, I mean, where should we invest? And, and his approach is like, hey, we, gotta, we have to uh, we gotta compartmentalize it, and we have to focus on each one. And, and then someone's like, well, I only have time for, for one, so which one is important? And the Bible shows us that that mindset of thinking about things like, in, in just investing in those different compartments in our life is really the wrong way to look at a response to God. And really, a, a worship, a life of worship, is, is orienting everything, seeing everything as God's, and everything that we have, and everything we feel and do and, and own. Everything is, ought to be meant as, a, as, a, as an act of praise and worship to God in response to who He is. And so it's not an issue of mind, body, and soul. It's an issue of our lives and everything. And the New Testament talks about this in many places. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, specifically, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that, they, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is saying it is not about how do I worship with my body, how do I worship with my mind, how do I worship with my affections and emotions. He is saying how do we offer our life onto the altar of God as an act of worship. And this living sacrifice, it's like a dead sacrifice is we take a sacrifice and we kill it and it's dead. But a living sacrifice is we perpetually offer ourselves to God, living and active in our life of praise to Him, in the way that we think, in the way that we do, in the way that we feel, and in everything that we have. It's a matter of our whole lives. This woman takes a flask of alabaster oil. And alabaster is this kind of clay that is, or stone that is used to house very expensive and precious perfume. And like the, like the one this woman had. And, and many biblical scholars and commentaries that I read would say that it is very reasonable that what she had in there was probably the equivalent of a year's wages. A year. And we never hear Jesus saying, what are you doing when she pours that out? We never hear him rebuke her and say, you're wasting it. You worked so hard for this. You're ruining it. In fact, he does the opposite. He receives it and rebukes those who say that she's doing something 
unreasonable and foolish and unwise. He affirms her work as an act of faith by giving something, most likely everything she had, as an act of worship. Worship involves orienting our lives and everything we have in responding to God with praise, including our money. See, this is when we get to Scripture and we don't have to talk, we don't have to give a money talk, but we walk through Scripture and we say, this is how it applies to everything. It does apply to your money. It applies to your home. It applies to your car. It applies to your time. It applies to your affections and love for others. It applies to your attitudes. It applies to your whole lives. It costs us a lot. Sacrificing our lives costs us everything. That's why Paul says, make it a living sacrifice. It, it should hurt in a good way. It should, it should hurt so good, so to speak. It is a sacrifice. It isn't only when it's convenient. That's not a sacrifice. It costs us our possessions. It costs us something more than that, too. It costs us our pride, doesn't it? It takes humility to worship Jesus with our lives, doesn't it? It takes courage to worship Jesus with our lives. This woman, what she is doing is highly inappropriate, highly dangerous in terms of her gender, in terms of her, her, her profession, most likely a prostitute, in terms of her intrusion into the party, her reputation. She was the wrong person in the wrong place. She should never be there. And she went in, and we, saw, we see that right away. She received just scorn. Humiliation upon humiliation, if he only knew who she was. It costs us pride. It takes a humble act to say, God, I'm going to orient my life around you, to worship you with all that I have. That's what Jesus calls us to. She was motivated, though, by a love and a reverent awe. She was motivated, knowing that she was in the presence of God, who could take away her sins. She was motivated by who he was, and therefore she brought everything she had to worship. If your life was a sermon, would it teach about Jesus? If your life was a sermon, would would anybody have any reason to listen to it? Our life and everything we do, think and feel, ought to be a response of worship to God who he is, and what he has done for us. And everything in our lives should be a reflection of that. It should be a window into the life of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise... Think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, the author of this passage, is inviting us to orient our thinking about everything we have as an act of worship. And not in an attempt to earn favor from God. You know what I like about that passage? He doesn't say, do all of these things right so that you can have favor from God. But he says, look at what I have done, look at what you have heard and what you have already received, and live in light of that truth. Paul is truthfully and graciously giving a gut check to everybody hearing this. All the Christians that are hearing this, everybody that is reading this letter out loud, and everybody here this morning, he's giving us a gut check. The gut check causes us to ask the question, am I worshiping God with my life and everything in it? Am I setting my heart, my attitudes, my hopes, my dreams, and my, my treasures on the God who has made himself known to me and has loved me and given me everything? Am I worshiping him with everything? How does your gut feel? Other than the donuts and the coffee, I mean, how does this sink in? Does it, does it hit where it's supposed to hit? And so you can hit in a, in a couple of ways, I think. It can make you feel guilty. It can make you feel like, I'm a bad person. I knew it. Now he's just affirming it. I really need to get my life in order. But see, this is, I think, in, 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 this, is, this is the work, I think, of the voice of, I think, the enemy, of Satan wanting you to feel like a really bad and dirty person. But there's something else that there's a good conviction to feel by having a gut check. I don't want to take all of those bad feelings away and just say, you know what, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and, and doggone it, people like you. I want to say, no, I want, this is good for you to feel bad if you look at your life and see that your life isn't oriented around Christ and your life isn't worshiping God I want, you to, I want to point you to Jesus I want you to know that in Christ there is this forgiveness, there is this equipping from His Spirit there is His presence who loves us and accepts us, not based on our performance or our character or because we worship Him or how often we worship Him, but He loves us in spite of all those weaknesses and therefore we should respond to Him with freedom we should give everything to him, knowing that nothing will, will return void. That we will not waste a single moment, a single, um, a single hour, a single penny, when it is, it is given in worship. It is impossible to lose when we live by faith. You will never be sorry. And I can say this with confidence, because this is what the Bible says. We will never be put to shame for those who rest in Christ, those who trust in Christ and His promise. We will never be put to shame. This is like a builder who builds a house. That builder will never say, oh man, I, the integrity of it was, I did a bad job, I built it wrong. It says, if we build on Christ, we are secure. And in the short term, it might seem like we are losing, like we're missing out, like we are like our life is just spiraling out of control. But rest in Christ. Trust in Him. He loves you. He has, he's a promise-keeping God. You will never fail. You will never be sorry to walk in faith and to worship Him with everything you have. And in fact, the opposite is true. And the opposite of being sorry of living by faith is actually a, we live by peace. We don't end up being sorry, we end up being at rest. We don't have regret, we have reward. We don't have sorrow, we have joy. 
This is, this is the promise that he gives to us. And moving on here, as he goes on to another way that worship is and following our definition that's responding to who God is and what he has done with all that we have so that Jesus is made great in our lives. Jesus has no problem in this passage exposing their lack of honor for him. The lack of honor that the Pharisees, the religious leaders have. He says, you should have given me water. You should have greeted me with a kiss, this gesture of love and friendship. You should have anointed my head with oil. He has no hesitation in telling them, you didn't honor me and you should have. God becoming a man in the person of Jesus Christ demonstrates an enormous amount of humiliation. And I want to talk about that first. His decision, God's decision for a time in a temporary way while he was a man on earth was not to exalt himself. It was actually to humble himself. The Bible teaches us that. That it says that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he humbled himself. He gave up his right to receive praise as God. He gave up his right to to have the glory, the majesty, the honor, the praise. And for a time, he was humiliated. And the Bible says, even to the point of death. So God became a man. And he says, that's, that's a raw deal. And it's even more raw deal that he became a man and he died. He, got, he was killed for our sins. That's a raw deal. However, from time to time, we are reminded that even though Christ is humbling himself and for a time giving up his right to be honored, he reminds us that it's all still about him. He does it here in this passage. This woman is right to give everything she has, her possessions, her courage, her hope and faith to him, because it is, after all, all about Jesus. He says again elsewhere, if you want to honor me, that means if you want to honor God the Father, then honor me. There is no way to worship God without worshiping Jesus. It may seem strange to envision anyone perpetually exalting themselves, perpetually telling people to worship them and praise them. It's that, that's strange. It's strange in any culture, culture for people to do that. Even among, it's, it's annoying when people do that. When we see our friends, anybody that is inviting praise is annoying. There's something called the humble brag. Now, there's, there's different ways to invite this, this worship and praise from others. The, the humble brag, it's like this false modesty, it's, but it's still wanting attention for how awesome you are. Like one celebrity recently tweeted, I just stepped on chewing gum. Seriously, who spits gum on the red carpet? Think about it. So they're saying, my life is miserable, things are horrible, but I'm awesome still. I'm on the red carpet and you're not. That's a humble brag. Okay, you with me? They're saying, woe is me, but look how great I am. Or another is, I'm exhausted from my two weeks off on vacation in Hawaii. I'm so tired for being in Hawaii for two weeks. So it's a subtle way of promoting our own worship. My hand is sore from shaking so many hands of visitors at church. Okay, that, that's something like super annoying. That's a humble brag, okay? See, if I'm making fun of others, I've got to make fun of myself too. But then, there's a humble brag, but then there's something like just outright narcissism. Like, 
like Kanye West saying he's the Steve Jobs of rap or something like that. Or LeBron James's tattoo on his back that says Chosen One, right? Or the, t- the top 10 song right now on Billboard 100 is a song called I'm the Man. You know it. It's super catchy, right? But super narcissistic. I want you to know that. This is I'm the Man, right? Listen to the words. This is all about him. Be a king when kingdom comes. And that's Jesus, okay? That's not you. So these are things that are just like outright narcissism. But then there's the humble brag. Whether it's bragging, whether it's self-promotion, whether it's blatant arrogance, it's, it's exaggerated. It's somewhat maybe true, but it's not fully true. And when people worship, when, when we worship ourselves, or we exaggerate how great we really are. When worship is directed towards anything but God, it's exaggerated in some way. And in some way, it's, er- it's erroneous. It's, it's false. It's, it's a lie. But here's something interesting. When we worship God, it's impossible to exaggerate. Worship is unexaggerated praise for God. There is no measure of praise for God that is too high. There is no amount of worship where God would ever say, Now, that's a bit much. We worship God by receiving Jesus, by trusting in Jesus. We worship God by praising Jesus and receiving him and orienting our entire lives around him. We worship God by trusting in him with all that we have. And when we respond to Jesus and trust in him by faith with all that we have, His glory is magnified. His glory is made big. His reputation is made great. And we will never reach that end where we've said, okay, I've done it. I have reached the end of the glory of God. But we simply move from one glory to another to another. And here is why our worship is meant to to make Jesus great. Because all of our work our worship, or our good intentions would never be accepted by God if it were not for Jesus. No amount of our effort would ever be received by God if not for Jesus. We're saved when we believe that God cancels our debt based on what Jesus has done, not on what we do. And this causes us to worship him with our lives all the more. Jesus puts a pin in the conversation at dinner by turning at last to the woman, and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He's inviting her to live life in this perpetual worship, in the same way that she worshiped him right there. So she's saying, what you're doing is right. Now go and keep doing this. Keep worshiping. Keep responding to me. Keep trusting in me just as much as the first day. She's at rest. He's inviting her to rest in the fact that she's accepted based on who Jesus is. And he is affirming to her, you got it right. You are a sinner. And I do forgive you. Go in peace. You're loved. 
The life of a Christian who rests on Christ is a person who is assured of their relationship with God in Christ. And our belief in God's favor is not because of the consistency of our character, the reputation of our image or our identity, but the consistency and the work of Christ. He never changes. It is we who are changing when we worship him. The work of Jesus warrants a response every single day. Whether you are a, 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 a not, not a Christian, whether you're a new believer, or you've been a Christian as long as you could remember, we need to respond in worship today to who he is, to what he has done, with all that we have, so that Jesus could be praised. Theologian John Stott reminds us that we can be justified once. We can be justified once. By our faith, we are considered right with God. That happens once. But then he says, but we need to be forgiven every day. Not that we are reset to a place of unforgiveness and condemnation, but we need to align our life every day in worship of Christ where we are confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, and receiving forgiveness from him every single day. And it means that even in the life of a Christian, there's a need to continually orient our lives around Christ. So let's go in peace, knowing that by faith we are accepted, forgiven, made whole, and called into a life of worship where we will never grow tired of making him great. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Thank you.